Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. I'm joined by Greg Barnes and Ross Martin. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com. Johnny T-Shirt, the clothing sponsor for Inside Carolina, certainly the best place to get your Carolina gear, johnnytshirt.com or Johnny T-Shirt on Franklin Street, worth a visit if you're in town. Greg, I'll come to you first. Carolina is on a roll, um, set off the air, and I want to get your take. Since that Louisville game on January 12th, I believe, save for a Cam Johnson injury, I, I think the Tar Heels would be undefeated. They're certainly playing as good as they played all year. Yeah, and surprise, surprise, Roy Williams has a team playing well at the end of the year. I mean, that's a conversation we've had really dating back since since he came back to Chapel Hill. I mean, if you go back to, I believe it was the 14 season. um, Let's see here. It's looking, they won, what, 12 straight uh, in in ACC play leading up to that, that final road game at Duke. Um, but there's there's a bunch of examples of that where North Carolina's played incredibly well as you get into February and March, and that's because of what we talk about in non-conference play. We talk about November and December, right? I mean, it's, it's a rite of passage. We talk about why is he playing these crazy lineups? Why are all these people playing minutes when he may not need them come tournament time? Why does he not seem to care that they're down 20 and he's not calling timeouts in November, right? And yet, give it a couple months, and we get to this point in time, we're like, hey, they're actually playing pretty good. They're one of the better teams in the country. How did all this happen? Um, And so it's, it's something we do every single year. And he has a method to his madness. He has proven it time and time again. And this is yet another example. What has he harped on since day one? He's harped on, this team has got to be better defensively. This team has got to cut down on turnovers. And this team's got to rebound well. Well, guess what? Playing the best defense that they've played all year long, right? They forced Duke into the most turnovers they've had all season long. They held Florida State to its lowest field goal percentage all season long. They've cut down on turnovers. I think they only had, what, nine against Syracuse? Uh and so they're doing a lot of these things that he's harped on all year long. And so now we're at this situation where they've won 11 of 12. They're going to be heavily favored to win their next two. I'll be shocked if they don't win their next two. So then we're likely going to be talking about North Carolina winning 13 of 14 uh, when Duke comes to town for what's going to be a mammoth game in the Smith Center next weekend. And that game's going to have ramifications for you know, not only the, the number one seed in the ACC tournament, that's going to play a role in you know, possibly projecting out number one seeds in the NCAA tournament. Ross, a month and a half ago, and I'll take a little bit of the heat off you um, because a lot of people on Twitter on the message boards have given you grief talking about that Carolina just wasn't that good or had struggled. And you know, a month and a half ago, that was an accurate statement. I mean, they had lost, uh, I believe they went three and three in a stretch there between the Texas game and the Kentucky game. They got blown out by Louisville in the Smith Center, uh, but they've flipped it and they've turned it around. And all the players say, you know, after that Louisville game, they realize, you know, they had to get it in gear for lack of a better term. But your thoughts on 
the switch. I mean, Greg mentions all the details and the nuts and bolts of it, but this team has turned into a a team that I thought may have an early exit and still might, but a, a team that is running through an ACC that's always brutal. They did it against Syracuse. I mean, they're they're playing ball like they that, like Greg said, Roy Williams has them ready come tournament time. Well, they're ready right now. Yeah, I mean, like you said at the time, that was kind of what I saw, and I try to to be as honest as I can to our listeners, our valued and respected listeners on the Inside Carolina podcast. Um, and I thought they had a lot of weaknesses and. Uh, or, or maybe some major one or two major weaknesses that I thought would be exposed as the season continued. And I, I was wrong in that respect that the lack of an interior score hasn't been as much of an issue because of how good they've been from three, the, the three point shot. And in general, just the way the trio of Cameron Johnson, Luke Bain, Kobe White have been able to consistently score. If it's not, you know, you know, if it's not two of them, then one of them goes for 30 or if it's not, you know, one of the two, one of the three, it's, you know, Nas Little or or everyone chipping in a little bit. You know, it's been a combination of those three the whole season. That's been very consistent from those three. The rebounding, and that that's, you know, another question when you don't have the, the size um, down low. The, the rebounding has been consistent all year. And I think that's a, a great way to eliminate a lot of issues. They've been very steadily uh, winning the rebounding margin. They're number one in the ACC in rebounding. Um, they're top in the country in rebounding margin, I believe, as well. Um, so the things you would think would dip down in ACC play, um, they've done really well maintaining those those strengths. And the three-point shooting has, has also um, you know, been fairly, fairly consistent. There was that one stretch where they hit the most threes they have ever in a five-game stretch. And then you you have the breakout of Kobe White and the the high level consistency of Cameron Johnson, and I just didn't think that those kind of um, scoring trends would be able to maintain. But they're, they're playing well. They're they're sharing the ball like all UNC teams. And and like Greg said, and Greg's always said on this podcast that they're playing their best ball now. Um, and yeah, and so I think it's uh, I think they're everything's clicking and the confidence is so high. Um, for, for certain players scoring as a team, just knowing they can grind out wins. You know, last night's win against Syracuse wasn't that easy at times, and, and, and Syracuse led at the half, and they didn't play their best game. But over the course of the game, they imposed their will and were able to pull out the victory. So a lot of things are working right now for UNC, and it's, it's cool to watch. And um, the scoring from White, May, and Johnson has been um, a really fun thing to watch as well, especially White. And I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about Kobe more as this podcast continues. Yeah, let's talk about that, Greg. The the balance, you know, you've seen North Carolina teams over the years that'll have four, five, even six guys in double figures. And granted, uh, Nasir Little and Kenny Williams are certainly close, and Garrison Brooks, for that matter, are certainly close to double figures. But you've got, um, and I'm talking total stats here. I know a lot of times we break it down into conference games only, but conference is pretty similar. You, you've got Cam at 16-7. Kobe at fifteen nine and Luke May at fourteen nine. I'm not sure there's too many years that Carolina basketball, rather son of Roy Williams or Dean Smith or Guthridge or even Darty had just three guys in double figures. And, and this team does, and this team's as good um, or has played as good as any of those in the past. Yeah, and I think an interesting component of that, and 
this is just me throwing this out there and this could be completely wrong. Uh, but I think when you look back at the great teams UNC's had, it has been, to your point, a case where you're getting scoring from multiple positions, you know, maybe five, six deep. Um, but almost as if there's some of the years where North Carolina hasn't been as good, maybe that's when you see you know, only a handful of guys really kind of carrying the workload. Um, and so I think that's what kind of makes this unique is, yes, there are three guys really doing the bulk of UNC scoring, especially, you know, as you mentioned, that's that's overall stats and conference play. You know, Kobe's 17-7, Cam 16-9, Luke's 15-5, and then Nasir's fourth, and he's at 8-7. So he's almost half of what, what Luke is. Uh, and so I do think it's unique that this this team's relying on three guys, but yet this is a team that, you know, top five team in the country. They're competing for an ACC championship, both regular season and tournament, and they're competing for a number one seed yet again in the NCAA tournament. Uh, and so I think that's maybe the unique component of it. Um, but it's worked. And I, I think one critical part of that is you've, you've got your scoring from different avenues. Right. We know Luke May is a stretch four, but he does a lot of his work on the boards and getting put backs and, and he's been able to score inside. So you have an inside component there. Cam Johnson, of course, does most of his damage from long range. Kobe's kind of the same way, although with Kobe being the point guard, he does play a different position than Cam. And so he, he pushes tempo, gets out in transition, all those kind of things. So while you do have just three guys leading your scoring, they're coming from different parts of the game. And I think that helps alleviate some of the concern as well. Yeah, you're right. They score on all three levels, threes, um, mid-range, and then around in the paint. Ross, you, you wanted to talk about Kobe. Let's talk about him, and, and let's have this debate. And off the air, we said, is he the best freshman? Maybe. I'll keep it to the Roy Williams era. And I know Coach Williams said he's the best scoring point guard he's had ever. Um, and Tyler Hansbrough is probably the best freshman ever. But is Kobe White? the best, not just scoring, but the best freshman that Roy Williams has had. And I'll keep it, like I said, to the Roy Williams era, just to um, keep it in the wheelhouse of the younger folks, a.k.a. Ross, in this podcast. Yeah, man, I think we, we would decide off the air that Hansborough had the better freshman year. Um, I think that's true, just how dominant he was that season. Um, but, you know, no one has scored you know, 30 points three times, and uh, Three-point shooting-wise, certainly one of the better freshman shooters that Roy Williams has has, has had. Um, you know, Brandon Wright had a good freshman year. He was ACC Rookie of the Year that year, but I don't think it was kind of close to this dominant as a performance in terms of scoring. Now, Brandon Wright may have been Brandon Wright may have been a little more consistent. I mean, Kobe's definitely had some up and down games. Greg might be better to talk about this, but I, I just want to kind of take a side note that. Roy said he had said that before that Kobe White's the best freshman. It was the best scoring point guard he's ever had. That's a huge statement. I mean, that's a huge, um, bold statement that it seemed like he just, it was an off comment. Um, but I mean, that includes Ty Lawson as a junior because that's a, that's a point guard. And that includes, uh, Marcus Page at times and Joel Berry. So that was a huge statement because he wasn't just talking about freshmen. He said point guard. And, um, I think, I mean, that's an incredible thing to say, you know, as we near the end of the season that Roy is, has kind of given that crown to Kobe already. And it's crazy to think, you know, if he were to stay uh, another season, 
you know, what he could turn into um, because he's done it so quickly. You know, we saw that Texas game when he was just in the zone, uh, knocking down threes and scoring at will. And because of his length and because of uh, his his depth at which he can shoot the ball, you know, he, he has limitless range, it seems, um, from three. And then he's so quick to get to the basket. He can score at odd angles. He can score in transition. He has such a versatile game and, and has all three levels, mid-range at the basket transition and uh, and three-point range. So it's a special thing we're watching. And uh, it's it's such a special thing. We may only be able to watch it for one season. So uh, bowl stand by Roy. Is he the best freshman player that UNC's had? Uh, back to your question. I think Tyler Hansborough was was more dominant overall and, and more, maybe more important to his team. Grant Wright's a player to consider. Uh, I don't think Kendall Marshall, because he didn't play as much. Uh, Harrison Barnes, I don't think was this good. Uh, but I'll let Greg kind of take it from there and let me hear his thoughts on that question because it's definitely an interesting one and definitely a cool question to explore for all the UNC basketball fans. Yeah, I think if you just just keep it to guards, um, I, I don't think there's probably any question that he's he's the best scoring guard, uh, to, to Roy's point. Not talking about freshmen, talking about just guards? No, I mean a freshman guard. Just, okay. Just speaking specifically to the, the freshmen. Um, but I, you know, I think Ty Lawson was very special in 06, 07. But he also had the benefit of having Bobby Frazier, who had an incredible freshman year the year prior, uh, kind of helping him along. And Kobe doesn't have that. And that's, that's one of the things, you know, with Marcus Page when he came in. Uh, Marcus, is, he talked a lot during his time at Carolina about, you know, he was so excited as a senior because, as a high school senior, because he knew that he was going to get to play under Kendall Marshall for a year. And how beneficial that would be, and then of course Kendall goes pro, and so it, it became a lot tougher. Uh, and so Kobe's had those ups and downs, primarily because UNC's had to rely on him. He didn't have that luxury of having a you know a guy like a Bobby Frazier, uh, who you know if if he had an off game or he wasn't playing well, guess what? Well, Bobby can come in, and if he needs to play thirty minutes, not a problem. Uh, and so, I, but I really think, I mean, in terms of, of guards. That, that's that's about it in terms of the the Roy Williams era. I mean, he, he's had a lot of great wings and a lot of great bigs, but it doesn't seem as though that, to my memory, that he's had uh, such incredible freshmen, especially at point guard. You know, you got you got Page. Uh, you know, Joe Barry didn't do a whole lot his freshman year. Uh, you you've got Lawson. You've got Frazier. And while Frazier had a really good freshman year, no doubt about it, uh, he wasn't on the level of you know a Ty Lawson or yeah, probably not level of Marcus Page, even though Marcus really took off his sophomore year. And so I think it's I think it's certainly fair to say he's the best scoring guard, and um, I, th- I think he's certainly in the conversation alongside of Lawson as as maybe the the best guard, uh, especially point guard that Roy Williams has had here. Yeah, and folks need to remember we're talking about in the Roy Williams era, so the guys behind him, and I'm still, you know, Greg, I, I, I if I had to pick best guard. Roy Williams has ever had. I'm going with Ty Lawson. Uh, I mean that that guy was just different. But Kobe certainly does some things uh, that Lawson really couldn't. You know, Kobe's six five. Lawson was on a good day six foot maybe. And uh, but yeah, Ty Lawson would be my pick for best guard, best scoring guard. Kobe's certainly in the conversation, and that's what stinks about the one and done type deal is. You know, these debates we used to have over the years 
were guys that stayed two, three, four years. And now if Kobe goes pro and if he's going to be a lottery pick, uh, he should go. Then, you know, it's a, it's a what if or, or what could have been when you're talking about greatest Carolina players or greatest Carolina guards. Let's take a, a short little break, but we're going to stay here because the break's going to be about johnnytshirt.com. And Greg and Ross can both comment about Johnny T-Shirt. It's a landmark in Chapel Hill. It is um, one of the few stores that is there that's always been there. The guys over there are great supporters of Inside Carolina. They're great supporters of the university. It's all Carolina all the time in Johnny T-Shirt. And you can go to johnnytshirt.com and get the same great merchandise, the same great uh, deals. And being an Inside Carolina subscriber, you can get 10% off your order for johnnytshirt.com. You know, the customer service is fabulous, whether it's on in person or whether it's online. And the best part, I see subscribers get a 10% discount online and in the store with that code. So mention the URL with Inside Carolina. Mention that you're an Inside Carolina subscriber. Get that 10%. Visit Franklin Street, Chapel Hill. It's a tradition for over 35 years. Locally owned and alumni operated. JohnnyTshirt.com. Ross, let's come to you. Get back to the basketball discussion. Let's talk about this double buy. And Carolina's certainly uh, locked in to the double buy in the ACC tournament, which I think is a huge deal. Uh, you do not want to play uh, four games in the ACC tournament. You have really no shot if you play all of them. But Carolina's locked in on the double buy. My question is this. Where does Carolina want to be on the scale? I would think the one seed absolutely um, would be the best because you avoid Duke and likely Virginia in the semifinals, but your thoughts on where Carolina can end up here um, coming down in the short rows of the conference. Talking in terms of who they want to play. Well, where can they end up with the schedule remaining? Where do you think they'll end up and where would be the best place for them to end up and that best semifinal matchup? Yeah, it's a great question. I was kind of looking at the brackets a little bit earlier before they locked in the, uh, the top three seeds. We know they're going to be one of the top three seeds. They got the double bye. I mean, and just a, you know, the obvious statement, you don't have to play that fourth game. Um, so you're playing a team in the quarterfinals that is ready. It's coming off a, a one-day rest. So you have a huge advantage in that first game and it usually sets up well to make it to the semifinals. Um, I mean, it, it obviously with the one, like you said, that would avoid Virginia and Duke. That is That is known. Whoever gets the one will play what probably Virginia Tech or Florida State in that in that fourth seed, which would be the semifinal game, um, or whatever team gets that fourth seed, uh, out of out of Virginia or uh, or Duke, geez, that's tough. I mean, I, I would still be a little nervous uh, as a Carolina fan taking on a, a, a Zion Williamson Duke team. Um, they would have already played them once, and so it'd be a, it'd be a third game, potentially a tiebreaker, or potentially a chance to sweep Duke, which would be pretty cool, uh, especially given the hype that Duke came in with this season. So you could get that semifinal matchup with Duke. But regardless, you're going to have to play, uh, you know, either Duke or Virginia in the championship game if you make it that far. Um, it'd be great to get another shot at Virginia as well. Um, I don't I don't know who you prefer. I mean, Virginia is so tough. And UNC's proven they can beat Duke. And maybe that um, mental kind of obstacle that you've already kind of beat this team and there's a, a way to beat them is a positive thing to get to that next round. 
So you're looking at well, one, two, or three seed. Um, I'm not sure if there's any more analysis to bring you, Tommy, uh, but that's my thoughts there. And, um, of course, the ultimate goal is getting ready for the NCAA tournament. And I was watching a CBS video today about, you know, how UNC could play into a number one seed. And um, it was Jerry Palm commenting on being able to win out in the uh, in the conference, in the regular season, and then beat one of Duke of Virginia in the tournament, in the ACC tournament. So a lot of things would have to go UNC's way, but there's certainly a path to uh, getting a one seed overall, a one seed in the NCAA tournament. That would require certainly a lot more wins and maybe some things to happen in front of them to, to bump up and, and likely bump out one of Duke or Virginia. You just sent my mind going on, on a bunch of good questions for Greg, so I'm going to have to pick one. Number one seed, which is more important for North Carolina, number one seed in the ACC tournament or a number one seed in the NCAA tournament this season? And I'm thinking this ACC tournament is shaping up similar to maybe the 95 tournament where the top four seeds or three of the top four seeds that were remaining in the semifinals were, I think, Maryland, and Carolina and I think Wake Forest were all ranked very high back in 95, but I think it's shaping up to that that type ACC tournament in Charlotte. Well, I think, let's start here. I think the ACC has probably three of the best, I don't know, five teams in the country with Carolina, Duke, and, and Virginia. Um, currently, I still think Virginia is probably the best team in the country, and if Killian Tilly will ever get healthier for Gonzaga, I think Gonzaga's right there as well as, as the two best. Um, and so if you, know, when you, when you look at that, that, that means I think North Carolina's would prefer to have a one C in the ACC tournament. Obviously you don't have to play Virginia or Duke until the uh, championship game. Now, does it matter if you're one in the ACC tournament versus one in the NCAA tournament? That's a, that's a difficult question, but, let me put it like this because I don't think I think one can lead to the other. You know, if North Carolina, let's say Virginia wins out and North Carolina wins out in the regular season, well, North Carolina will be the two seed. And for North Carolina to win the ACC tournament, they would have to beat Duke, who's a likely number one overall seed, or at least in the running for one right now, and then Virginia. I, mean, I think we can say with certainty that either Virginia or Duke will be a one seed in the NCAA tournament. So if you've added to your resume over the course of an ACC tournament that you beat two teams that are probably deserving of a number one overall seed, well, then that's going to put you in position to be a number one seed. Whereas if you're the number one seed in the ACC tournament uh, and you only have to play one of those teams, uh, maybe you know, that affects your resume some. Um, it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to me if you win the regular season in the ACC and uh, you still don't get a number one seed in the NCAA tournament, but hey, we, we've we've seen that kind of thing before. Um, but we know that the NCAA tournament, um, that, that higher seed you get, the better off you're going to be until really you get to the Elite Eight. Um, and I, I'm just kind of looking at how the, the teams have been this year on a national scale. I, I don't think there's that many great teams. You know, really, once you get outside the you know, top seven or eight, and so if that's the case, then you know if you're a if you're a two seed, then you're going to have to play a, a really good three seed potentially uh, that early in the tournament. 
Whereas if you're a one seed, then you can push that back a, a, another week till you get to the lead eight. So I, I think anytime when your goal is to win a national championship, you want the number one seed in the NCAA tournament that reigns supreme. Uh, but you know, if you want to get that number one seed, you can really set yourself up well by winning the, the ACC tournament if you have to go through both Duke and Virginia to get there. Ross, I didn't see the video you were talking about, but if Carolina runs the table in the rest for the rest of the regular season, beats Clemson, beats Boston College, beats Duke again, you know they'll they'll be the two seed likely, unless Virginia slips up at maybe Syracuse. I don't see Virginia losing to anybody else, um, potentially Louisville, but Louisville they're not won't. losing again in the in the regular season. Yeah, so so if Carolina's if they run the table and beat Duke. And then somehow beat one of Duke or Virginia. I think they've got to be a one seed in the NCAA tournament. And I know we're getting we're two weeks ahead of ourselves here, three weeks. Uh, but it's an interesting discussion. That's why I think the ACC regular season probably means more than any conference regular season out there. Well, yeah, you can get you can get so many quality wins in the ACC because if UNC were to beat Duke again, that'd be two wins over a top five team, um, and that looks so great. And then you you kind of you're competing with Duke for that number one seed. And obviously have a head up uh, with those two wins. So, you know, you get to play the best teams and you really show how good you can be um, going against Virginia and Duke and to a lesser extent, you know, Virginia Tech and Florida State and some of the other top 25 teams. So um, and it just other than that, just the strength of the conference in general gets your um, strength of schedule up and uh, prepares you. So you're, you're looked at better in the eyes of the selection committee. So that's certainly um, a positive for for all the teams in the ACC, and especially the the top end teams. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy to think that you know when when they were when lost a couple games in December and January, and people maybe yours truly uh, included were, were hopping off the ship. But things are looking uh, bright for this this Tar Heel team if they can. Uh, I think a lot of things have to go in their favor, but when they do. Uh, and things do click, it's a really highly talented team that can do damage. I think can score with, with any team in the country. Um, we've seen how limited Duke can be offensively at times without Zion. And, and Virginia, you know, obviously has scoring limitations purely based on what they what they do. Um, but the way they're shooting the ball and, and the way that Luke May can play at times, it's, it's a high-powered, explosive offense. Well, and, and I think we need to also talk about the fact, too, that I think there's a thin margin of error here because while I think we all agree that the, the upper echelon in the ACC is, is legit. I mean, there's other teams in the country that are good. I mean, I, I would be surprised if the big 10 champion doesn't get a number one seed. I mean, the, you know, if you look at Ken Palm four of the top 12 teams in the country belong to the big 10 Michigan state and Michigan, of course, are, uh, two of the, the better teams in the country and, and Michigan handled North Carolina very easily. Granted, that was a long time ago. Uh, Gonzaga is probably locked up for number one seat at this point in time. And then you got Kentucky and Tennessee. Uh, you would think, you know, you know, if those teams keep winning, one of them's in line for a number one seat. So that's three right there. And then you certainly, the ACC will get at least one. Um, and so I think it becomes a, a difficult task. Now, Let's play devil's advocate. Let's say North Carolina wins their their next two, but then they lose to Duke. And so they have to play in that 2-3 game, uh, likely against Duke, although it could be against Virginia. 
Let's say they lose that game in the ACC tournament. Well, all of a sudden, are they still a two? Or is this now a North Carolina team that falls down to a three seed? And so when you're talking about playing elite teams, um, not that you know, I'm not suggesting North Carolina can't beat Duke by any stretch, but Duke is one of the best teams in the country. North Carolina has already handled them once. They can beat them again. But those are going to be competitive games. Virginia's the same way if they have to play them in the ACC tournament. So even if you play a good game and lose, that's still going to hurt. Um, and so it's not as if North Carolina can just absorb losses and still be right there at the top. So like, like Ross said, there's a lot of work yet to be done. Are they trending in the right direction? Sure. Is everything kind of where they would like it to be at this point in time? Sure. Uh, but they've got to close strong. They've, they've got to play very well against some of the best teams in the country in order to kind of not only get a, a one seed, maybe an ACC tournament, but certainly to get a one seed uh, and guarantee a, at least a two seed in the NCAA tournament. Hey, Greg, can we get your kind of basic breakdown of, of how you think this team is right now, their chances moving forward and what you really like? You think they're doing well? The kind of general thing that we've talked about a little bit so far? Your take on, on what this team can be moving forward and, and how you think they're playing? Well, I think North Carolina, I, I think the, the big concerns with this team for us, kind of going back to, to where you raised your concerns, Ross, was after that Louisville loss, if they didn't play a lot better defensively, they were going to lose a lot of games. And this, this conversation that we just had was not going to be taking place. Um, and so give the players credit. They, they made the decision that, hey, we're not going to put up with that. Uh, we, that was a wake-up call for them. And that was one of the things that really stood out to me about the, the win over Syracuse. And I talked with Kenny Williams about this after the game. But, yeah, Roy Williams got on the halftime because that's what he does. But they came out with a fire defensively that we wouldn't have seen early in the year. And Kenny said it really was. A, they were like, all right, look, we, we had a bad half. Uh, enough, right? We've, we've been down this road. We know it's not productive. It's not how we want to play. Uh, let's get this done. And so they flipped the switch. So it wasn't Roy pleading with them to flip the switch. It was the players understanding, all right, we've got to do this now. And that's significant. And that's one of the reasons they have played so well over the last month and a half. Um, they're getting better taking care of the ball. You know, Kobe still has his games where he's, where he's you know, on and off and makes some wild plays. And, and Luke still takes some uh, bad shots and makes some bad passes at times. But for the most part, they've gotten better as a team. And then they finally started, started shooting the ball well. So when you, when you factor all those different things in, that's why this team's playing better. Now, do they have a legitimate rim protector? No. Same, as, same answer as you know, October. That's not going to change. Has Garrison Brooks played a lot better than probably some of us thought? Yes. Give him a ton of credit. He's still not Bryce Johnson in the middle. And so a lot of it's going to be matchups for him. Um, but fortunately, there's not a lot of you know, legitimate true bigs that are, that are dynamic in the country. And so that helps. But you can't, you can't get a matchup like you know, A&M last year or else you're going to be in trouble. So that's still a concern. And I think that lowers their ceiling a little bit. Because you know, 09, for example, it didn't matter who they played. They were going to beat them because they were that much better than everybody else. This Carolina team is not at that stage. But they are playing close to their potential which puts them in the conversation for you know, a team that can make the Final Four. And, of course, once you make the Final Four, 
there's so many different things that go into play uh, that if, if you just get a hot hand on any given night, you can you can beat whoever. And so uh, I think they are they are in position. They're not the best team in the country, but they're in the conversation for a legitimate Final Four contender. And as Roy says, you know, the goal is to contend for a Final Four. You want you every year for your team to be good enough to maybe reach a Final Four. And once you do that, uh, you know your, your team is about as good as it can be and things have to bri- break the right way. Um, he's got them pretty close to where they need to be. That's I was right going to say, is that good for you, Ross? <laughs> I was uh, yeah, type that up and, you know, you, you print that off and you put that on your, on your wall right there, the Greg Barnes breakdown. That was uh, spot on. So last question before we end this podcast, and we can keep this one um, short if we need to, all ACC – and I know we're three games away from the end of the regular season, but I think Cam Johnson's got to be a lock. It's got to be. But I don't think either Luke or Kobe are a lock, but I think one of them will be on the first team All-ACC. Ross, you're first. Is it going to be Cam, which I think's a lock, and then is it going to be Luke or Kobe joining them on the first team? You know, like – I. I was looking at the statistics today and um, you know, this isn't the, the number one thing you look at. I'm trying to bring it up right now as we, as we speak, but um, Cameron Johnson's not top, you know, five or even top six or seven in scoring. So those guys ahead of him are scoring more, um, but he is playing on one of the top teams, which, is, which means something. Um, you got guys like Kai Bowman ahead of him in scoring. You've got uh, Mark Reed ahead of him from Clemson. Uh, Jordan Nora, I don't know if you said that name, but out of Louisville, Chris Likes is ahead of him. So Cameron Johnson is eighth in the ACC right now in scoring. Um, now this is, I think this is scoring not just in ACC play, but in um, overall. So that's something to play. But I would agree. I think Cameron Johnson, the odds on favorite to make um, the first team. He's going to be, it's going to be tight though. There's a lot of good players ahead of him. Um, do I think Kobe White or Luke may join him in the first team? Is that the question, Tommy? Yes. I don't I think, think so. I, I think one or the other joins him, but I don't know which. Man, I don't know. I just don't think there's room because you're definitely gonna have Barrett and Williamson on the first team, and and if you put Cameron Johnson there, there's a lot of other good players. Um, you know which Virginia player do you put in there? Do you put a Virginia player in there? DeAndre Hunter's Hunter's twelfth in the in the uh, ACC in scoring right now. Um, so it's an interesting question. I definitely think Kobe White will be a second team guy, um, and Luke May might be more of a third team guy. Honestly, um, his scoring has really dipped down to, I think it's 14.9%, uh, 14.9 points per game right now. Um, just crazy to say, but I don't think more than one person from UNC makes the uh, first team all ACC. Greg, your take. I think Barrett and Williamson are locks. Uh, I think they're absolute locks, and they probably should be. I mean, it, it, I think if, if you finish way up the food chain in the ACC, you should get, um, preferential treatment for first team all acc has it always been like that i don't know but there's not a real dominant player on some of the lesser schools but i think you gotta have cam johnson and i think i i do think it'll be either luke or kobe i've been wrong before but greg your thoughts to wrap it yeah i i tend to agree with ross that there's only going to be one carolina guy on the, the first team um carolina think- the acc and they get one guy well, That's Duke's what... getting two for sure. Right. So now we're down to three. Uh, the guy that's probably, well, 
one of the guys playing the best in ACC play is Kerry Blackshear at Virginia Tech. He's been fantastic. He was good against Duke the other night. Um, he's improved in conference play, and you know, they don't have Justin Robinson. And he's still, I mean, that it, we heard all about Zion not playing in that game all night. I didn't hear a whole lot about Robinson not playing, the, the floor general, but that, that's another <laughs> topic. Uh, but Kerry Blackshear has been incredible. So he is at least deserving of attention there. And then you probably have Virginia is going to be your ACC regular season champion. Um, so you've got a couple guys there that are going to be in the mix. I mean, is it DeAndre Hunter? I would assume Hunter's probably the leading vote getter on that team. But Jerome and Guy have been great too. Uh, and so, yeah. Did you do you leave off? Yeah, Kai Bowman or Marquis Reed, who are scoring nineteen yes. points. Yes. Per yes. Yeah. Really? You leave, you leave those, those guys off. off. But I. You you got Williamson, you got Barrett, you've got at least one from Virginia. I think Blackshear probably is deserving, which leaves you with one. I agree that I think it's Cameron Johnson. Uh, if Kobe has a couple more big games, then he's going to be certainly right there as well because he's played so well in ACC play for the most part. Uh, but I, I I agree with Ross. I think Kobe's maybe number six right now, and I think Luke – probably is, is third team at this point in time. It's definitely a point where you kind of weigh the, the better teams get preferential treatment, like you said, Tommy. I guess. Yeah, not well, not Eric Green getting player of the year for the worst team in the league. Let's not <laughs> ever do that again. Ever. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's you media guys that vote for that stuff. Uh, you know? uh, it's excruciating. <laughs> <laughs> it's an interesting conversation. I think y'all are probably right, but I just think uh, – I think if you win the conference or if you finish tied for first in the conference, you should get more people than these lesser guys. I think Kai, po- Kai Bowman's a great player. Um, I think he would have been really good for North Carolina if he stayed, uh, stayed in state. But for him, uh, no, it's just not a first-team thing. And uh, if Carolina, Duke, and Virginia dominated the first two teams, I think that would be fair. But, you know, like we just said, ACC media guys – I've always wondered how ACC, uh, how media guys can come in on a ball game sitting in the nosebleeds at the Dean Dome. That's for another show, though. <laughs> we'll wrap this one. Let's let's keep that one for later because I do want to ask you guys about that at some point in the season. But Inside Carolina Podcast sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com. Greg and Ross, it's always a pleasure to do our weekly thing, boys. We'll do it again next week. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.